Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mail on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors joining me in studio. Good morning to you, John. Uh, good morning. John, we ha- asked you to have a look at that uh, Graham DeWire's bid for freedom, um, uh, the the bid to overturn that murder conviction and uh, the action with the Supreme Court there. Yeah. Can you just fill people in just, just a bit of background first yeah, of all? Yeah, well, John? first of all, they're disconnected. There's no c- real relationship between his appeal, which is appeal on the conviction, and the Retention of Data Act uh, issue, right? And what I mean by that is that he's appealed his case on the basis, uh, I'm assuming, that the evidence didn't support the conviction. And But one of the issues that he's... One of the, the items, if you like, that he's isolated is the whole area of retention of data um, under the legislation... And basically what that is, is similar to a lot of powers that the Gardaí have, and that is that they can access information without consent. And it's done on the basis of, you know, the prosecution of offences. It's done on the basis of, you know, the the level of severity of offences and the the seriousness of offences. And the justification is that you know, you're able to access things like, for example, fingerprints and you can look at a database of information and you can use that information in the investigation and then follow on prosecution of the offence. And this came up before, funnily enough, when I was listening to it yesterday evening, uh, on the news when I was listening to the Supreme Court Justice Clark giving his judgment. Um, It or brought me back and reminded me of a case that I looked at. Um, it must be three, four years ago now, although you know the way it is with three or four years, it could be six. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it was an ECJ judgment, a European Court of Justice judgment, which is what this is all about. And in that case, it involved fingerprints. Now, in this case, it involves using information from the phone, from somebody's phone, without their knowledge or their consent in order to successfully introduce it as evidence in court. Now, in the criminal trial, you would have had the issue of admissibility. Mm. This is not an issue of admissibility. This is more a policy issue than one of admissibility. Now, I don't want to get too uh, vague about this, but if you're in a criminal trial... And the prosecution is there to prove the case and the defence is there to defend the case. In both instances, they introduce evidence in one way or the other. And the prosecution will, in a criminal trial, will seek to introduce evidence. Um, And the question and the rules of law that you're looking at there is evidence, you know, the rules of evidence. Can you put this into evidence? Can you put this before the jury? And is it admissible? So you're kind of, if you like, a good or common example of that is if you had a co-accused, for example. So two people are being prosecuted for the same offence and one of the accused gives evidence against the other accused. Mm. So that's a question of admissibility. Is that evidence admissible? Because in some way it could be tainted. Likewise, if, for example, and it used to be the case up to quite recently, and again recently being in the last five years or so, it used to be the case that if the prosecution tried to introduce evidence that they got illegally 
or unconstitutionally, the question came up, could they bring this in and use this in evidence? And there's huge kind of kind of policy issues around this. You know, there's the whole balance between the rights of the accused and the rights of, if you like, the general public in the in the terms of prosecuting and protecting, you know, people against or you know, offences. So you always have this kind of delicate balance when you're dealing with this. Now in this particular instance, the fact that he has appealed his conviction is a kind of a standalone issue to do with the question of whether or not this evidence should have been put in before the jury. And that's still live and that's still going to be, have to be dealt with by the courts in the overall scheme of things when the case comes on for hearing, as in when the, his appeal of his conviction comes on. But he made a separate uh, case or took a separate uh, point out of all that, which was that the legislation that allowed the superintendent to access this mobile information, which in turn people may remember that they were able to use what they call metadata. Uh, metadata, I used to always wonder what the hell metadata was. But metadata is kind of the traces of what you do in social media, mm. the traces of what you do with your mobile phone. What's left behind. Yeah, what's you... left after you make yes. the call. So when it was made where it was made to, what location you were at, what location it was made to, you know, all that kind of data that surrounds the actual, you know, the action of making the telephone call. So what they did, as I understand it, in the criminal trial was they were able to pinpoint where he was at any particular time because they could use this information. Mm. So you can imagine that from a policy, and I say policy perspective, but from an overall perspective of prosecuting crimes and investigating crimes, this whole issue of being able to access this information is absolutely critical from the point of view of prosecutions. And this is one of the things that the Chief Justice said yesterday in one of the kind of limbs that he was talking about, which we'll come back to now just in a second. But Historically, or historically, but more recently, this came up in the UK in the case of fingerprints because, and I'm going to very much generalise it because, to be quite honest, I didn't have a chance to look at the case, but there was a case, a case went all the way to the Supreme Court in the UK where somebody objected to the fact that they were retaining his fingerprints uh, for an undefined period of time. So in other words, what what happened or the case was, could the state hold a kind of a bank of fingerprints that they could then access at any stage in the future and run a kind of a, like something you see on the telly, you know, when you're watching these uh, programs, which we used to th- think were fictitious and we thought they'd never happen, but they're now... A, they're now you're now in that realm of with technology the way it is that you mm. can access this information on a database and you can then search and find certain using certain search criteria and it's so much more sophisticated than it was and it kind of brings us back to discussions you and I've had over the last period of time but the whole you know once you go on to the social media and once you're on it and when when it's recorded on social media 
the question is, do you have a right to remove it? And do you, do you have the right for it to be forgotten? And that whole area, that whole kind of complex area is all intermeshed here. But the big overriding kind of argument that the state made in the fingerprint case in the UK was, look, we are a state that needs to deal with international terrorism. We're a state that needs to deal with serious crime. And under those circumstances, we're justified in putting together a database of fingerprints and then being able to access that, whether or not, you know, it's on a time-limited basis or otherwise. So this is a similar type of right. argument. And, and sorry, can I just ask you, as a, by the way, on that, those fingerprints that you're making reference to there, were were they gathered from people who, who were accused of criminal activity? Well, yeah, that's a very that's a very good question. Or did it come from from something well, else? Well, exactly. That's well, that's one of the points in the case was that this was information that would be gathered from people who were suspected of committing offences right. and were later released. So, if you like, once you got into the system... You were in. You were in. So, a little bit like social media, once you get into the system, you're in. And the question is, can you get out of the system? And I think, interestingly enough, you've probably put your finger on what is the kind of key issue that the EC, the European Court, is going to be looking at. Because they won't be as exercised about the Graham O'Dwyer case as people in Ireland will be. And they will be, you know, again, ivory tower kind of, they won't be looking at the detail of it. They'll be looking at the overriding, overriding principles that are involved in this. And the balance that you have to strike between the innocent person that you take details on and whether or not the local superintendent can, without any, by your leave, by any outside agency, access information on your phone on the basis that he considers that it's necessary to investigate a crime. So the issue and the interesting issue there was, and the Supreme Court actually touched on this, because when they when they handed down their judgment, there's, there's a number of layers or levels to the judgment that was handed down. Mm. But if you go to the kind of kernel of the judgment... When you look at the the policy issue, what effectively they did here was, and just as an aside, by the way, the reason that this is going to Europe rather than being dealt with by a national court, a national being an Irish court, because obviously we're part of the EU, we still are anyway, but we're part of the EU. So obviously any issue that if is EU-wide can come in under the ambit of the European court. So in bygone days when we weren't part of Europe, the last court was the Supreme Court. That was the last court. Yes. If you finished with the Supreme Court, that was it. Under our present regime, because we're part of Europe, where there's issues that are European-wide, it will go to the European Court of Justice. So something like this that would involve, you know, European-wide issues on, you know, crime, Mm. you know, cross-border investigations and all that kind of thing, that then goes to Europe. Now, in this particular case, the Supreme Court has already accepted, and in fact the Irish government has already accepted, that the legislation, as it is presently uh, constituted, is not compliant with European rules. 
and has already admitted, if you like, that the system that we currently have mm. isn't good enough. And the Chief, Chief Justice has said that, and uh, the reason he said it is he says that there is no external controls or checks on this power to access information. Right. I think there was a lack of understanding, though, of what we expected from the judgment uh, yesterday, because it was essentially um, the validity of that particular law Mm. as opposed to the Graham Dewar case. Correct, correct. Even though he did go on to make the point that um, the eventual ruling in favour of Dewar is, is, is very unlikely. Well, that's really interesting now, because and again, can I just put my legal hat here on? I should have had it on all, all throughout the programme. But can I just put it on and say that these are my personal observations? But you see, I think what the, what the Chief Justice said, and obviously I can only think what he said because I haven't read the judgment, but I think that what he was saying was that he wasn't commenting on whether or not the appeal was going to be successful or not. Do you follow me? He wasn't discussing the appeal of the conviction, which, as I understand it, is a separate standalone matter. In other words, Graham O'Dwyer is still appealing his conviction and he's waiting for an appeal date to deal with that. That's my understanding of it. What he's saying is that this legislation, even if it's found to be contrary to European rules won't have the effect of reversing the legislation, yeah. overturning the fact that they access the information and use that information to gain the conviction. So right. in other words, and this is really interesting because, and again, interesting from a legal point of view, but obviously your listeners would be more interested on the Graham O'Dwyer mm. scenario. But this raises much more wider questions because, you see, the, the issue here is, and this commonly comes up, You've got a piece of legislation that, let's say, finds its way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court decide that it's unconstitutional. And we've had this on any number of occasions where, and in Irish law, you see, what can happen is the there's different arms of the state, like, I don't know how many arms the state has, but you know what I mean? There's the judiciary, there's the executive arm of the state, and then there's the parliament. But... Where the the courts try and stay out of what the the executive arm is doing, and the executive arm is supposed to stay out of what the courts are doing. So, in a situation where you've got legislation, the one area where the courts can actually step in and look at what the executive, if you like, the Parliament is doing. Parliament sounds very British. Mm. The the Oireachtas, I should say. But what the Oireachtas is doing. Normally, you would say to yourself, well, the Oireachtas can make law, and if they make law, that should be the end of it. And the court can interpret the law, and that should be the end of it. But our legal system is grounded on a basic premise, and that is that the courts have an obligation to oversee and make sure because we have a constitution to oversee what the Oireachtas is doing. So if the Irish courts consider that the Oireachtas has stepped over its uh, jurisdiction in terms of not applying constitutional principles, the courts system 
will then kick in and go, that is unconstitutional, that piece of legislation is unconstitutional. And it has done it on any number of occasions over the last number of years. And it can also do it, by the way, if our president refers, because the president has a power, one of the powers, if you like, that he does clearly have is to take a piece of legislation and refer to the Supreme Court and ask the Supreme Court, is this okay? Is this consistent with what we think as a society we should be doing? Because that's what our constitution is. And if somebody was convicted on the basis of unsound legislation mm, then, mm, can, exa- exactly. I mean, what happens then? Exactly. I mean, well, that, that you're posing exactly the question that the Chief Justice attempted to answer before it went to the, the European Court. Yes. Because what the Chief Justice says was, said was, OK, this is something that we as the Supreme Court, as the last court in Ireland, have to refer to the European Court. So it's out of our hands now. They must decide whether this piece of legislation, if you like, when you compare it to European law, will it stand up? The same way as our Supreme Court is supposed to look at our legislation and say, when you look at that piece of legislation and compare it to what we say is our constitutional scenario, does it stand up? Likewise, he's now saying, okay, here, this case goes from Ireland to Europe and this European court is going to decide whether this piece of legislation stands up and, if you like, holds muster in terms of European law. Now, the question that you've posed is the question that he has, he being the Chief Justice, preemptively answered because he said, OK, right, I can't answer this question, but I think the answer is that if they send it back to us and tell us that this this law is not valid, in other words, that it doesn't stand the test of comparing it to European law, then if they send it back to us, we as a national court, in other words, we as the Court of Ireland, have the decision as to whether it will be retrospective or not. Now, it's really, I think it's really fascinating from a legal perspective is as to whether or not he's right in that. Because ultimately, by the way, the European court isn't shy in sending back a message to the national courts in the same way as the Supreme Court isn't shy in sending a message down to the lower courts, as in the high court, and Mm. saying to the high court, you got it wrong here, and by the way, this is how you should have got it right. So the really interesting question here is, will the European court direct the Irish court and the question is can they direct the Irish court now the Irish Supreme Court has said to the European court no 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 you can't when this comes back to us we'll decide whether or not this is retrospective or not and he's already said that if it comes back to him as in if it comes back to the Supreme Court that the decision will be that this case will not be of any value but is that open to challenge by of somebody course. like yourself than on the basis of what the European Court is Well, saying. it'll be open to challenge by the European Court because if the European Court sends back a message to say, right. sorry, but you can't do this, well, then they can't. And that's the really, really interesting, right. fascinating element to this case. And, and, and you know what everybody's screaming at the radio? Right. Said, Would you shut right. up, lads, and tell us, will Graham Dwyer <laughs> when he, when he well, get you out? See, well, you see, the thing about Graham Dwyer is that the ultimate... Now, I have to admit to your listeners, I'm not... Although I'm an avid reader of law and although I'm really fascinated mm. in law. I'm not an avid reader of the newspapers and I'm not an avid reader of cases mm. without looking at the actual f- case itself. Yes, of course. Yeah. But the thing about it is that 
the question as to whether Graham Dwyer's is going to be successful in his appeal will come down to one very basic principle, well, many, but one kind of kernel of the whole thing, Mm. and that is, was there sufficient evidence before the court in order to convict him? So, in other words, was there a reasonable doubt? In other words, when the appeal court looks at all the evidence, and when the appeal court looks at the evidence, with all due respect to everybody, they won't be looking at the newspaper articles. They'll be looking at the transcript of evidence given at the trial. So what they will do is the appeal court will go through the transcript of evidence. And the way that an appeal operates is you get the transcript of evidence, you get the transcript from the judge, you then get legal argument and legal submissions by both sides, and then the appeal court will sit and sift through all that information and usually will sift through it before the legal arguments. So in our jurisdiction, and in other jurisdictions, by the way, you don't have any legal arguments, it's all written. So, But in in our situation, what will happen then is they'll read the transcript, they'll read the judge's comments on it, they'll read all the, put all the information, read through all the information, then they'll hear the legal arguments by the both sides, the prosecution and the defence. They'll ask whatever questions they want to ask and then when they've considered all of that, they will then more than likely say, can you give us written submissions as well? So then, then they will then get written mm. submissions and then they will give a considered judgment and at the end of the day the cornerstone of our criminal code is if there is reasonable doubt he will and should be right uh, because the point of law in question obviously wasn't the only reason that he oh, was no, convicted oh no 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 there was multiple yeah, there were multiple yeah, of I mean it was the question of whether the evidence when you put it all together created a doubt whether the jury and by the way on an appeal the, the whole thing about an appeal is that it's not just a, an, it's not a rehearing of the case on mm. appeal. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you get a completely new rehearing of a case on appeal, and a, that in itself is fascinating as to mm. what you can get in, whether you can get in. Speaking of fascinating, we have nowhere near enough time to talk about it. But I, I don't know if you're following the, the the Weinstein case, but I find that absolutely fascinating, particularly the judgment on it. You know, mm. Uh, mm. just well, yeah. I mean, the thing about that, of course, is that. It's very hard. Uh, no, this is me. This is me using my get go or no get out of jail card. Is it? I mean, the problem with the Weinstein case is that it's America. I mean, what really fascinates me about America is that you've got the prosecution standing up there uh, with a microphone after the prosecution, lo- kind of lauding yeah. the whole situation. It's incredible. And then you've got the defence counsel coming out clearly and absolutely you know and the prosecuting lawyer coming out and the, you know I mean the whole thing is just yeah you know, well, well, if that were here would that be in contempt in some way by questioning not, by questioning yeah. what what the decision of the court. That wouldn't be seen as the right thing to be doing at all, but it is creeping. It, it reminds me, and I'll leave you on this note, it reminds me when I when I started in the district court first, and the, you know the American thing you see where the, the two fellows would come up to the bench and mm. would address the judge, and yes. they'd be all going, ah, baby, whispering away at the top of the court. And I remember there was a certain solicitor who became well known after after the fact, and I won't say where I was, but he, I arrived in, everybody was sitting down and this guy, we're in the middle of this hearing 
and we're arguing the toss and whatever. And he says, can I approach the bench? And the judge looked down at him and said, do you think you're in an American soap or something? Well, there's no approaching the bench here. Whatever argument you have to make, make it. Make it. Oh, oh you, can't, you can't do that, can well, you? you don't do? approach the bench. No, I mean, in America, it, the approaching the bench is where you're kind of whispering to the judge yeah, yeah. Uh, without telling anybody what's going on. I mean, the whole, the whole, and you know the way they go into the room? Yeah, and, into the chamber. And, uh, yeah, yeah, into chambers. And, yeah. it, and you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> You've just shattered all my favourite TV shows. Thanks, John. It's always Thank a pleasure. You. John Lynch from John Lynch, uh, from Lynch Solicitors, indeed, in uh, Clonmel. We'll take a break back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Subaru dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 